0: Hi there and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, good morning and welcome. Uh, good to see all of you. Good to be seen by you, those on live stream. Thanks for joining us. If you're visiting today, we're also really glad uh, that you are here. I'm going to jump right in. Uh, this is week five of a 12 week series uh, called "The Apocalypse of Jesus Christ," and it's a study of the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And it's going to take us all the way to to Easter. And if you've missed any of the previous talks, you really need to catch up because they build on each other each week. And uh, so you can go to our website vcdc.org to check them out. We're using as a guide in this series. We're using a a book, a pastoral commentary. Uh, called Discipleship on the Edge by uh, pastor and seminary professor, a guy named Daryl Johnson. We have another shipment just in on our book cart, and I know many of you are reading that book and really enjoying that book, and that's that's wonderful. And it's super helpful because Revelation is a challenging book. It's a unique uh, book in the Bible. It primarily falls into the category of apocalyptic literature or apocalyptic genre, which besides other things basically means that there's it's loaded with imagery, uh, loaded with uh, symbolism, and so it it needs to be read that way, meaning that you don't read Revelation the same way you would read, let's say, Proverbs, for instance. Uh, Apocalyptic literature has two primary purposes. The first one is to set the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the future, and then the second is to set the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the present. Uh, so what what does that mean? Well, basically it means this. Revelation tells us that hey, things are not as they seem. Right? Things are not as they seem. There is more in this present moment in your life, in your family, and you know, at school, at work, uh, in the United States, in the world. There's more to this present moment than we can see or understand with our limited eyesight, our limited intellect and imagination. So for example, we learned this last weekend. Right now, right now, whether you know you look at the news, you're aware of all that's going on on planet earth, uh, whether it looks that way or not, right now Jesus is ruling and reigning over the heavens and the earth. Jesus is fully in control of all that's going on. Uh, last weekend, Andrew talked, uh, looked at chapters four and five, in Revelation. And he said that chapter four marked the beginning of the second act of this five-act play of Revelation. And the second act started with the word open. And we read this in Revelation 4.1. After this, I looked, I, John, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And as John looked through this open door into heaven, he saw an amazing sight. He saw this and there was one seated on the throne, and in the hand of the one on the throne, he was holding a scroll that was sealed with seven seals. And we'll talk more about that scroll later, but basically, it's the, it's the scroll of, of history. Uh, and then John hears a voice thunder Who is worthy to open the scroll? I thought that was so funny because uh, just imagine if that was the voice, a little mousy voice thundered. Okay, well. Now it's recorded. But anyway, so John hears that. John hears that. And then one of the elders says, look, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. He uh, has overcome. Therefore, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's worthy to open the scroll. And John turns expecting to see this you know, massive unit of a lion, but what does he see? He sees a lamb. In fact, he sees, Andrew was talking about last week, he sees a little lamb, a bloodied little lamb, a sacrifice to the Lamb. He sees Jesus. And uh, Jesus has had a costume change since since act one. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, no one, no one but Jesus is worthy. Or another way to put that, no one but Jesus has the authority to open or really to put into motion this scroll, uh, this scroll of history. Uh, chapter six kicks off a section that goes really all the way to the early part of, of chapter 11, where we go into the third act. And really now at chapter six, things start to get strange. And, and I know uh, over the years, I've heard people say one of the reasons they don't read Revelation is because, frankly, it scares them. Because it is a scary it is a scary book. And I was thinking last night when I, when I read the text that we're going to be looking at, I thought, this would be a weird weekend to be a visitor. Like, is that... The Bible? Or is that Stephen King that you're, you're reading uh, today? But, but, it, but it really is, for many people, it's a scary book. And the section we're looking at today kicks off a, sec, uh, a part of Revelation where there's lots of death, disease, earthquakes, just loads and loads of chaos. And so it's really important from here on out as we're reading Revelation to remember that Jesus is on the throne of heaven that Jesus is fully in control uh, now and forever. And really what we're gonna look at today is that the message of Revelation is, it's simply do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Whatever happens on planet Earth, whatever you hear in the news from the so-called experts, whatever happens to you or to your family, to your loved ones, don't be afraid because things are not as they seem and whether or not we see it, whether or not we understand all that's going on, the message of Revelation is do not be afraid because Jesus is in control and Jesus has got you and he's not going to let go. So let's pray and then we'll jump into chapter six. So Lord, we thank you for, for a brand new day. Thank you that today uh, has, has never, it's never been lived before. And I pray just for a freshness in the room a freshness because you're here. Uh, I I pray that you would surprise us today with your presence. Would you come here in the room? I pray for whoever's watching online. Would you just come close to them too? Lord, we give you this time in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're gonna read the first eight verses of chapter six. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Uh, It says this, chapter six, verse one. I, John, watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals, Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. So you can see why people say Revelation is a little scary. But again, remember what I just read, while all that is happening, Jesus is in control. And it really shows us that Jesus is in control. Notice that I underlined uh, the word given and the word saying, and because they demonstrate in that section that these horsemen, these, these bringers of death and destruction, it, it shows that they're under control. They're under the control of Jesus. They're under the authority of Jesus. They were given a certain amount of authority, et cetera, to do what he wanted them to do. Right, they were given, or they were given, or told instructions and limits as to what as to what they can do. So let's talk for a bit about well, what what are they doing, or rather, what's going on in this section uh, with all this wrath, etc. Well, uh, there's lots going on, but I want to look at one thing. And so my first point is this: my first point is when kingdoms collide, when kingdoms collide. And I said earlier that the scroll that Jesus alone had the, uh, was worthy or had the authority to open, to put into motion is the scroll of history. And in Revelation, God is giving John an apocalypse, right? He's putting on this, this live action, this cosmic play and he's pulling back the curtain. That's what an apocalypse is. He's pulling back the curtain and he's showing John just the dynamics of world history, past present, and future. And he's showing John things that with his natural eyes, John John would not be able to see. And basically the scroll contains, the scroll of history contains God's plan, uh, God's plan uh, for, where did I go here? God's plan for bringing creation to his intended fulfillment for it. Or another way to put that is, this scroll contains God's plan for bringing the kingdom of heaven down to invade and take over the kingdom of this world. And one of the pivotal chapters in the Bible is Genesis 3, where really the kingdom of this world invades the kingdom of God. Think, you know, the snake, right? Garden of Eden, think the devil who's the leader of all evil, think the apple, Adam and Eve, etc. From that time on, <clears throat> ever since Genesis 3, there has been a cosmic battle raging. Right, a, bat, a battle that we can't see with our eyes. We can't see the battle, but what we can see, we can see the effects of this battle on planet Earth. We see war, we see famine, natural disaster, we see poverty, uh, injustice, we see people hurting, cheating, using each other, on and on and on. We, we, we can't see the battle, but we see the effects of the battle. Another way to put that would be, think like tectonic plates, you know, like these those foundational plates of planet earth down deep below the earth's surface they're moving and they're colliding against each other and we don't see that but we sure see and feel the results of those collisions earthquakes tsunamis etc uh, etc cetera, et cetera. so with that in mind think about this jesus shows up on planet earth and the first words out of his mouth are basically this mark 115 jesus says the time has come He said, the kingdom of God has come near. With his arrival, the kingdom of God is breaking into the kingdom of this world. Repent and believe the good news. And as Jesus walks the earth, as he's declaring and demonstrating the kingdom of God, what it looks like, you know, all these incredible miracles, healing people and setting them free from demons and all this stuff. Like, think about the life of Jesus. He is constantly facing opposition. You know, and, and it's either from the religious leaders, people who I think are really influenced by demonic powers, or literally by demonic powers. He would walk into a church and a demon would just, ah, what are you what are you doing here, Jesus? You know, what have you come to destroy us? And and so everywhere that Jesus went, there were these kingdom collisions as the kingdom of God was breaking into this world. And so as God from Genesis three till the end comes to destroy the kingdom of, of darkness. There will be opposition to what God is doing until all, until all the evil is destroyed. And Johnson puts it this way in his book. The violence on planet earth is because Jesus is coming and bringing his kingdom and being resisted. It, the, the chaos, etc., on earth is due to the lamb and his way being resisted. Does that make sense? <laughs> That's not very convincing. But uh, let's start again. Good morning. No, but, but think, about, think of it this way. Okay, think of it this way. June, uh, June 6th, what, what happened on June 6th, 1944? D-Day, D-Day. The Allied troops stormed the beaches of Normandy and what did they do? They, they broke the hold of the enemy, right, over Europe. They broke the enemy's hold, but was the war over yet? no. In fact, from D-Day to V-Day or V-E-Day, I guess it's called now victory in Europe. From D-Day to V-Day, it, history would say that some of the most intense fighting happened in that block of time until we went to, the, to Victory Day when the war was over. And so, so, you know, so the enemy was, uh, had bro- his hold was broken, but the enemy was fighting like a cornered animal, right? Resisting, resisting what was coming its way. On the cross, you know, the death and resurrection of Jesus, think of that as D-Day. The hold, the power of the enemy has been broken it 's broken his power has been broken over humanity and over over nature etc etc but but the but the war isn 't over yet, right We will one day come to victory day when when all evil is destroyed and dealt with, but we 're not there yet and and so until then, as his followers we 're working with him we 're working with him till we get to uh, V-Day. And we're in this in-between, you know, between the cosmic D-Day and and V-Day, if you will. So, and and during that time, one of our tasks in this cosmic war is uh, simply yet powerfully to pray. That's one of our tasks. And and, and so I want to look at number two is the power of prayer. And I want to look at one of the things that makes our prayers really powerful. Uh, Chapter six of Revelation has lots of prayers in it. Um, Johnson says this in his book. He says, there are many different reasons for the changes, upheavals, and revolutions of history. One of the biggest reasons is the prayers of the followers of the Lamb. Now, I I didn't see this, but in reading Johnson's book, uh, uh, in chapter six and then into chapter seven, whenever a seal is broken, and there's seven seals, whenever a seal is broken by Jesus, there's a prayer that's prayed, and uh, and so when we when we look at the section we read earlier, you know, a seal is opened and one of the four living creatures thunders and according to Johnson says a very simple but powerful prayer. What do they say? They say, "Come, come." That's their prayer, and uh, Johnson says that's that's their prayer. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. That's not really what I was taught. That's not how I understood this section. I always thought that these, you know, these four creatures were inviting the different horsemen, whoever they are. Like, you know, that I always thought the four living creatures were saying, come and do your work of death and destruction. That, that's what I always thought. But, but as I, as we've been going through this series and going through Johnson's book, I'm like, you know, I don't think I agree with that anymore. Because that doesn't make sense to me. And here's why. Last weekend, Andrew said that those, remember the four living creatures gathered around the throne of Jesus, that they represented the greatest strength and the greatest wisdom of all created beings. And as they dwell, you know, around the throne of Jesus, they're not there resisting Jesus. They're not, you know, they're not contesting his ways. In fact, what are they doing? They're, they are right now, they're forever worshiping the Lamb. And they are forever wanting his ways. They want, they want his name, so want his ways. So why would those creatures invite evil beings to come and do damage to the Lord's, to the Lamb's creation, or resist the Lamb's ways? Does that make sense? So, what are they praying for when they say, "Come"? Well, we'll come back to that in a second. Uh, when the fifth seal is opened, the prayer is uttered not by creatures but by people. Verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Now remember, Revelation is, is the longest pastoral letter in the Bible, Pastor John is writing a letter, this vision, to these these persecuted churches on on the mainland. And I think this section would have been really encouraging to these churches who were experiencing very real persecution, incredible pressure to compromise their faith. Uh, Some of them had already lost their lives. They'd been martyred. Many to come, many were going to lose their lives. But why were they martyred in the first place? Well, it's, it's answered in the text because of the word of God, and the testimony that they had maintained. That's why they were slain. And, it, and what it's saying there is that, well, they were they were martyred because they didn't give in to the pressure to compromise. They made a choice that they would, in this life, they would submit to the commands of God, not submit to the commands of, of, of Caesar. And so basically their prayer is, how long, Lord, until you avenge our blood? How long until you... You know, you bring down your judgment on the evil in this world. How long, Lord, until your cosmic kingdom work is done because we can't wait. We can't wait for it to be done. So so what are they praying in their prayer? Well, I think it might be making a little bit more sense, but we're gonna come back to that in a bit too. Uh, We're gonna skip over the sixth seal and it'll make sense later. The seventh seal is opened in chapter eight and that's Andrew's section so I want to be careful what I say. But, but when that seventh seal was opened, it said that there was like a half an hour of silence in heaven. And an angel scoops up all this incense, this burning incense, and this smoke is going up, and it represents the prayers of the saints. And what's that song we've been singing a lot lately? Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. And it's this, it's this, it's this focus on the prayers of God's people the powerful prayers of God's people. So let me, let me wrap this little section up. Seals one to five, six later, and then what I just said, seal seven. All these prayers have a common theme that runs through them. And basically it's this, they're all praying. At, at, you know, in some way, they're all praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, the Lord's prayer. They're basically saying, your kingdom, come. Your will be done. How long, Lord, how long until it's on earth as it is in heaven? How long till that, till that happens? See, prayer, our prayers are powerful when we pray according to God's will. 1 John five fourteen says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now, when you hear that, some of you, if you're honest, you'd say, ah, I don't think I agree with that. Because how many of you have asked God for something that you didn't get? It's like, yeah, it should be the whole room, actually. <laughs> but, but think about that. So, but what's the key in that verse? What's, there's a key phrase in that verse, but... but uh, that if we ask anything, how? According to his will. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus has given us this amazing prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer that in a simple but powerful way clearly lays out God's will for us and really God's will for, for the world. So, so consider the prayers that you pray. Think about the prayers that you pray. Uh, whose will is driving them? Like, is it your will or is it his will? Whose will, you know, drives your prayers? Now, before you start beating yourself up, in the context of what I'm saying, remember that God is the best. He's he's a perfect father. And he dearly, dearly loves all of us. And so that means as his kids, as his sons and daughters, we can come to him, we can ask God for, for anything. We can ask him for anything that's on our heart. But what we need to learn, and, and, and when I'm talking about you know, powerful prayer, praying his will, what we need to learn is we need to learn to follow the example of our older brother, Jesus. We need to learn from Jesus to land at the place that he did. And here's what I mean. You know, think of Jesus, he's coming to the end of his life. He's, the cross is on the horizon. And, and Jesus is going, whoa, that's gonna, be, that's gonna be really hard. And so in the garden, he prays this, Luke 22:42. 42. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. See, isn't that, now that's really, that's really helpful. That's a great example for us. Jesus is saying, Father, let me be honest. Here's what I want. I don't want to go through with this. Like, like, is there another way? Is there another way to do this? But look where he lands. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Hey, that's, 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 praying according to his will. And so, you know, so we can say anything to God. We can ask God for anything. God, you know, I, I so want to get that scholarship. God, I so want to get that, you know, that promotion. God, I, you know, I so want this for my child or God. I just want children or God. I, I want to get married or, you know, or or God, I just want to see the Cleveland Browns win the Super Bowl. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Is that too much? Is that, but, or, or, but now more, or I just want this loved one to be healed. Lord, I, I'm, I, of course, I, I want them to be healed, Lord. I want them to live and I, we can ask God for anything, but, but we need to remember, we need to land where Jesus landed that we ask what's on our heart. We're honest, but then we say, yet not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. And understand when, you know, ending at that place of trusting in, submitting to, praying his will, like like, like we are praying. Our, our prayer is literally joining with all of heaven because all of heaven, the creatures, the elders, like all these angels, that's, that's what they're praying. They're praying. They're basically praying the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come. Because the best thing in every situation is your kingdom breaking in. Powerful prayers are praying according to his will. Before my final point, I want to go back to the, to the sixth seal. When the sixth seal is broken, we see just this incredible chaos on planet Earth. Things just go crazy. And, and what we see is, again, people pray, but I want you to notice who they're praying to. Verse 16, it says, they, the people, they call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? Now, isn't that interesting? Because like they are praying and I don't know if that represents idols or, you know, but they are praying somewhere. They're looking somewhere for help. And I think this shows a group of people after the sixth seal, it shows a group of people, it shows their hearts, it shows their hearts that they, they are, really what's in their hearts is resistance to the Lamb and His ways. And so they're looking elsewhere for help. They're looking elsewhere for deliverance. But notice what they say, and this will set up our third point. As they look at just the chaos you know, that's going on in the world, they say, for the great day of their wrath has come. And as they look at it, they say, and who can withstand it? Who can stand? Who, who can stand at such a crazy time as this? And to that question, Revelation would say, well, who can stand at a time like this? Well, only those who are sealed with the seal of God. So, our third point is this fearless in the face of tribulation. Fearless in the face of tribulation. So, in chapter seven, we again see the, uh, the word seal being used and it's the same greek word that's used in chapter 6 but it's but it's used in a in a slightly different way in chapter 6 the seals on the scroll they're less there to prevent you know people from opening the scroll or or from seeing what's written on the scroll and they're more there as a sign of ownership and what i mean is these seals are like it, it they they sort of represent that only the authorized Person, only the worthy one only the the one authorized by the author of the scroll is allowed to open it so think about your cell phone your you know your thumbprint or your facial recognition i mean it 's sort of a similar idea you know God the author of the scroll God says you know only Jesus only Jesus is worthy is authorized to open the seven seals but then in chapter seven the word seal is used again in a slightly different way but in a very A very comforting way. Uh, Chapter 7 starts with this. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And then it goes on to say that the number of people who were sealed was 144,000 people. And it, and it lays it out, 12,000 from the 12 uh, tribes of Israel. Now, we learned this last week. When when we're going through Revelation, when you see numbers, numbers are not statistics, they are symbols, right? They're symbols. And so what's being communicated with that number, 144,000, is that this number of people who are sealed, well, it's a really big number, that's basically what it's saying. It's 12 times 12. We'll talk about that in a sec- In a second. 12 times 12. Just keep talking. <laughs> times 10. Times 10. Times 10. Now you're listening. That, does that wake you up? <laughs> There's a secret. Just throw that in every now and then. But okay. So that's a big number. It's a big number. But it's also 12 times 12. Which again, it's not a statistic. It's, it's, it's symbolic. 12 tribes of Israel. 12 tribes disciples of Jesus. Uh, And basically what it's saying is this number of people, this group, this massive group of people who've been sealed by God represent the true followers, the true people of God from both before and and after the the time of Jesus. And so how do we know that? Well, verse nine uh, says that. It says, after this, I, John, looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. It's this massive, massive number from every nation, tribe, people, and language, not just Israel, standing before the throne of God and before the lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And so they're worshiping, you know, this massive group of people, they're worshiping before before the lamb, joining with the creatures, joining with the, the elders, etc. And then one of those elders turns to John and he asks him a question. He says, hey, these in white robes, who are they? and where did they come from i answered sir you know and he said these are they who have come out of the great tribulation they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb so who is this massive crowd well i think this massive crowd in in one way is us it's us and what i mean is it's people like us it's people it's just everyday people from past present future who who have made a choice or who will make a choice to, to not bow their knee to the culture, but to bow their knee to the lamb. These are, these are the people who have been fearless in the face of tribulation. And understand, you know, that word tribulation, we, we've made it into this really ugly, scary word. Like, do you know what it actually means? The Greek word is thlipsis, and it actually means pressure. It just means Pressure. And so when the elder talks about the great tribulation, he's referring to the great pressure of this, you know, this, uh, that, that they were facing at the time of John and that humanity will face until it's all over this great pressure to eat. are we going to give in to the desires of our heart? Are we going to give in to the currents of our culture? Or are we going to submit to, to the Lamb, right? Are we going to submit to the Lamb? So, what does it mean then to be sealed by God? Well, in the vision, the angel says that, that a seal would be put on the foreheads of God's people. And I checked again in this mirror and I don't have a, a mark on my forehead. I mean, maybe next Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, we're all gonna have a mark on our forehead, but I don't think that's what it's talking about. But what, is, what does that mean? Like, because I don't see any out there either. What, is it, what, what does this mean? Well, uh, John's audience would have understood right away what they're talking about. Because you remember, Revelation quotes or alludes to the Old Testament like four times. Times. And so when they heard what John was saying, they would have quickly thought of a vision that the prophet Ezekiel had in the Old Testament. And Ezekiel is prophesying about God's you know, coming judgment on, on Jerusalem because of their unfaithfulness to God. And Ezekiel says this, this is the vision that he sees. Then the Lord called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing kit at his side and said to him, go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. Put a mark on, on the foreheads of people who really have the heart of God when they look at their world. Verse six, slaughter the old men, the young men and women, the the mothers and children, but do not touch anyone who has the mark. So so what does it mean to be sealed by God or to have this mark? Well, you know what? I believe it has really nothing to do with an actual mark spot on our foreheads. I think it has a lot more to do with a changed life. I think it has a lot more to do with, with a life that bears fruit of being submitted to the lamb. Johnson says this about the seal. John does not answer the question in chapter 7, but he does give us more insight in chapter 14. He says in 14:1 that they have on their foreheads the name of the lamb and the name of the lamb's father. Is John saying that one can look and literally see on their foreheads the names Jesus and Father? No. For in the Bible name is a way of saying character or personality. To have a name written on oneself is to have a character or a personality imprinted into one's being. Therefore, to be sealed by God is to have the character of God and the lamb written into the fabric of our being. On the forehead implies that this new character is obvious to onlookers. People look at us and, yes, see our brokenness, but they also see the lamb and his father. So, how does this make us fearless to be sealed in the face of tribulation? How does this calm our fears in the face of whatever's going on or whatever's going to, what will go on? How does this give us the courage to, to not compromise our faith even to the point of death? Well, understand that to be sealed by God is, is to belong. It's to belong to God, meaning his seal on us is a sign of his ownership of us. That means that you are owned. You are treasured and held by the one who is eternal. By the one who right now sits on the throne. By the one who's already won the victory. He's just cleaning it up. Like by the one who holds in his hand the keys of death and Hades. Of the one who's, who's, who's bigger than anything else. Anything evil can throw you away. You're, you're held in those strong, strong hands. So, so then a good question would be, well, how do I know if I do belong to God? How do I know? How do I know if I, you know, if God owns my life? Well, I, I think you know you belong to God when increasingly, it's, it's really, all, it's about what direction you're headed in your life. When increasingly in your life, the direction you your head is that above all else, again, increasingly, uh, more than anything, you want him and his ways. You know you belong to God when increasingly in your life you're quicker to say yes to him than anything or anyone else. You know you belong to God when increasingly in your life you have experienced his love, his faithfulness, and because of that, you gladly, gladly find yourself praying more and more. Yeah, Father, this is what I want, but you know what? Not my will, uh, but yours, yours be done, Father. Why don't we stand up? We're gonna uh, Let's have the worship team come on back. Before we go back into worship, I want us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And I want us to do it in Latin. So, uh, no, but, but think about it. But I want you to read as we read the Lord's Prayer, right, praying according to God's will, it really maps out in a very simple way his will for us. So let's, let's read this together and then we'll go back into worship. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. Our Father in heaven... Holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.